0: Hello, everyone here is daniel budai with another episode of our ecom show and today i'm here with Chef Haikan, and he's uh, is well-known keynote speaker in a customer experience new york times and wall street journal best-selling author and uh, he's the author of several books, and also he's the author of many well-known uh, articles. Actually, I found him on uh, YouTube. He has a great YouTube channel. He educates the market, not just the e-commerce market, but uh, everyone in the business world. Before we jump into it, I want to give a shout out to our guest two episodes before, who was uh, from Bridge, Belgium, Steven, who is also a CX expert. So, Nowadays, we're really into these topics and uh, let's start out our talk today. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to the budaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us how are you thank you and
1: Stephen van Bellerheim. He is a brilliant, brilliant man. You had a great guest.
0: Let's jump into our topics today. Before we talk about customer experience, I'm really curious, what's your background story? When did you start focusing on this area? What's sure. your journey?
1: So my journey started back when I was 12 years old and started my first business, a small business, a birthday party magic show business, where I performed magic tricks in front of a bunch of screaming little kids and got paid pretty well to do it. And my parents taught me the basics of customer service, which I had no idea that's what it was called back then, you know, write a thank you note and say thank you to the customer, call them a week later, thank them again and get feedback, ask questions like, what did you like about the show? What were the specific tricks that you like and listen to them and make a better show as a result. And that's called process improvement. I had no idea that was the foundation of my understanding of taking care of people. And then I had odd jobs and I continued to do my magic shows and I worked in nightclubs and corporate events eventually. But I remember working at a gas station when I was in college where we would actually, have to go out and and exchange money on the drive because we didn't have computers. Our station didn't, we were a very old station. So there were computers. I'm not that old, right? (laughs) Anyway, I, it was a very cold, cold day and I pumped a woman's gasoline for her and uh, a very elderly woman, probably in her eighties. I didn't want her to get out of the car and get cold. And my manager actually yelled at me for helping her. And he goes, you know, That's not what we do. We're self-service. I go, yeah, but she's like 80 years old. She comes Mm -hmm. in all the time. I recognize her and I thought I would be nice and help her and pump her gas. He goes, well, now she'll expect it the next time. I go, well, you know what? That would be great if she came back here next time instead of the gas station across the street and the one across the corner over there. And he got mad at me and walked out. I knew that I was doing the right thing, even though Mm -hmm. he was telling me that's not what I should be doing. Two things I learned that day and I didn't realize it until years later. Number one, people like me are all over the place. We want to take care of people. So when we're talking to our clients about customer service and hiring people for the right experience and the right culture, just know that there are people like me and there are people the opposite of me. And by the way, those people are fine. They may be better suited for a job that is not so customer facing, but there are people who have a passion for taking care of others. Also, even if you have a boss and their title is manager, supervisor, executive VP, or even CEO, that doesn't mean they know how to take care of people. And I learned that because my boss, who I admired and was, is teaching me as from the moment I went to work there, how to do what I was supposed to do when it came to taking care of people, he didn't know how to do it right. And I'm still convinced that I was right. He was wrong. It's decades later. <laughs> And that's really where the journey started. Now, it was all about customer service back in the day when I started. I quickly morphed into customer experience because somebody really smart one day said, hey, customer experience. It's a fancier term for customer service. And then as it caught on, people recognized the experience is far more than service, which is typically people dealing with people. And by the way, service is not a department where you call and get a complaint resolved or a question answered. The idea behind service is that how the customer is taken care of throughout their entire journey, whether they're in the sales process, whether they're... If They're online and an e-commerce solution, like many of our listeners are. What's the intuitive experience that our website creates? So, is it easy for them? That's a great experience, and people will walk away and use the term. That's a great experience. That's great service, and really, all it is, it's our e-commerce process doing what it's supposed to do: easy to log on, easy to buy. You know, deliveries on time. We get email confirmations. All those make the customer feel great, and to me, that's blending service and experience together really, really well. So today, it's morphed into something much bigger and more exciting than just taking care of people and saying thank you and being polite.
0: But that, by the way, is the foundation of it all. Yeah, I I really agree with that. And talking about management and managers, certain managers, they don't understand the good customer experience and taking care of people. So do you think in a company, those people should be picked and they should be put to the client facing or customer facing roles who are uh, really good at this by default? Because I know certain people, they are better with this, others, they don't like that. As much
1: there, there, you know, and I'm there is uh, no such thing as a bad behavioral style or personality, but there are some styles and personalities that are better suited for jobs yeah. that are customer facing than others. And there's plenty of instruments or hiring tools that you can use. To determine does this person have the right behavioral style, right personality? Uh, Are they a good fit even for our culture? A lot of companies now are using these types of instruments and tools just to make sure that the person's going to fit into the culture. So if you've got somebody that's you know really good at accounting and numbers, and they're very introverted and soft-spoken and uncomfortable talking to people, don't make them spend the day on the front line talking to customers. It's not what they do best. However, I do believe they need to learn enough about it so they can shadow somebody or learn. this is an important concept. It's important that everybody in an organization understand the importance of what service and experience is and what role they play. Even if they're behind the scenes in the accounting department, maybe they're preparing an invoice for a client or a customer are sending it out. If it's wrong because they did something wrong, they taint the client or customer experience. Then that shows, okay, even though you have nothing to do face-to-face with that customer, what you're doing behind the scenes impacts that customer. So we have to keep that in mind. Anyway, there are people on the front line that are very vivacious, outgoing, and they love doing it. Quick little story. I worked with a company that had three owners, three partners. Two okay. of the three were completely on board with bringing my team in to help with their culture and train their people on how to deliver a better experience. One of the members, the owner said, you know what? I just don't get it. It's a big investment. We're not, I'm not into that kind of thing. And what I told the other two is until he is in, you should not hire us because it will be a disaster. There is no way we're going to make that guy happy. And you've got to figure out if he's got to figure out if it's worth it or not to invest in the customer experience. Otherwise, let's just wait for a better time. And uh, you've got to be on board. C-level is where it starts. From the top, it's got to be defined. What does a great experience Look like and then communicate it down to everybody. And then everybody needs to be properly trained on how to execute on the experience vision that the uh C level has.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Just recently I realized that the title shouldn't entitle people, what they do. I'm what I mean by that. So we just realized that in my team now we have around 30 people, we have certain managers who are actually really good at client-facing positions. And even if they are not client-facing in reality, they can still... Contribute to the success of the client-facing team by uh, giving them ideas and, and how to communicate with the clients. Also, one thing I want to mention, and uh, I don't have any affiliate links or anything, but there is this website with this uh, personality test. It's called PredictiveSuccess.com. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, there is a really good personality t- t- test. It's very simple. It takes like five, 10 minutes to fill it out. And I think it's even free. And uh, there are basically four types of people when it comes to team uh, management style. And uh, one of them is the synergies. And I think those people are really good to connect team members and clients. While uh, visionaries like me, we are a bit stubborn on our own visions and ideas. And uh, we can learn it for sure, but it's not our natural strength. So Mm. I really recommend this test uh, for you.
1: What's really cool is once again, when you take that, and I don't like to use the word test, it's more of an assessment because test means you could fail. There's no (laughs) failure here. It's this is how you are. And there's great roles and responsibilities you can use. So like I know I am not a detail-oriented person, and the example that I love to use here is you can put me into the room over there where we have our filing cabinets and give me a stack of files. Well, if you only give me two or three, I'm fine at putting two or three away, but you make me sit there for two or three hours doing this, I'm going to (laughs) implode. Yeah, Who knows what's going to happen? And I think it's important to understand that that's not what I'm best for. And Mm what will end up happening is I may do what you ask me to do, but as an employee, I'm going to hate what you're asking me to do. And throughout my career, I'm going to be looking for another job, you know, take on what I'm best suited for. I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago, Mm -hmm. and I used an airline as an example, because you said some people are behind the scenes and they've got great personalities and they never interact with a customer. Everybody has a customer, whether it's an internal customer or an external customer, external or the obvious, you know, they yeah. pay for our goods and services. Internally, it's who do I support that if I don't do my job, they can't do their job. So I use the airlines as an example of this and I'll use Scandinavian airlines because Jan Carlson uh, came up with this idea of managing the moment of truth, which is anytime in his case, a passenger came into contact with any aspect of the company, they formed an impression. Well, anytime, any one of our customers, and again, I recognize so many of who we're talking to today are in the e-commerce world, but anytime one of our customers is interacting on our platform or interacting with any of our employees if they need help there, even if it's a AI infused chat that they're talking with, and it's not even a human, that's part of the service experience. But back to the airline example, if I check my bag and I see my bag go down that conveyor belt down below, and I assume I'm going to see it when I land at my destination and it'll be there at the baggage claim area. But but between the time I see it leave and the time I pick it up, a number of people touch that bag. Somebody looks at the tag, they scan it, they make sure it goes on the Mm -hmm. right cart, which goes out to the airplane. There's a couple of people that are loading bags at lands, a couple of people taking the bags off, getting it to the right baggage carousel. Probably eight, 10 people touch that bag yeah. that I check. None of them ever actually interact with me. However, if they don't do their job and I get to the destination and my bag's not there, they really impacted negatively my experience because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They also, by the way, have an internal customer, not just me as the passenger, but their internal customer is the person that I'm going to go visit. Now that I don't see my bag, there's a little office next to all of the baggage carousels, the baggage claim areas and and airports where there is some poor soul that sits behind the counter that does nothing but hear about the complaining customer going, you lost my bags. Where's my bag? They're never out. There's never, nobody ever pops their head in the office and says, Hey, just want to let you get, you guys are doing a good job. No, they only go in there to complain. So that person who mishandled the bag throughout my journey, that person impacted my experience as well as their internal customer. They let that person down. So I emphasize everybody has a customer, internal or external, or sometimes both, and they need to manage the experience that they create and recognize the responsibility to make sure they deliver to meet, if not exceed those expectations.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good example. And uh, everyone in the team should keep in mind that they deliver to the customer at the end of the day. Let's talk about your new book. So this is your eighth book. uh, Yeah. I love this book. What is the tie into Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, movie? <laughs> well, well, the title of the book is I'll Be Back, subtitled, How to Get Your
1: Customers to Come Back Again and Again. So at first I thought, "Well, oh, what do we want our customers to do? We want them to, to come back, right? We want them to say, I'll be back and then actually do it. And the book actually originated with an idea that I was talking to one of my clients and we were talking about all the different ways to measure customer satisfaction. And I said, you know, the biggest indicator of customer satisfaction, if you want to call it that, is if the customer comes back. and But you need to understand why they come back. And uh, if they don't come back, is it because we did a bad job? Is it because we didn't make them happy? And if they do come back, is it because we're doing a good job or are we just more convenient than a competitor? But getting the customer to come back is of the utmost importance and probably the most important measurement. So I sat down to write this book and about three sentences into my outline, I thought, hmm, who made this words, I'll be back? famous. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator. However, the book has nothing to do with The Terminator, but I thought at least let's drop some of that language in there. As long as we're using I'll be back as, as a term for customer experience, why not you know recognize the guy that made the words famous? So I talk about why you would terminate a customer, why customers terminate you. But most of it is <laughs> just a little bit of fun in there, but it's really, that's all it is. To this day, I've been trying to get Arnold Schwarzenegger to endorse the book. And uh, if he's listening to this podcast, and I sure hope he is. Hey, Arnold, please. I'm happy to make a charitable contribution to whatever your favorite charity is. And I know
0: you've got a lot of them because you are very philanthropic. Let me know. I'd love to uh, have you endorse the book. Regarding the book, uh, if anyone reads the book, and I highly recommend that because it's about a really important topic. So in chapter five, you say that nothing has changed in a customer service. Mm. And we know that uh, our world nowadays, it's really about technology and there are new tools emerging almost every day. So how can you say that but it actually didn't change anything
1: in the past. It, especially in our world with the e-commerce world. Boy, isn't that amazing that even with Amazon starting out as an online bookseller years ago and look at where they are today. E-commerce is huge. It's the way to do business. It's a way to take a local business and build it into an international business. There's so much. And you could say, how has nothing changed? So here's what I mean by that. Customer typically wants to interact with a company. Maybe they've got a question. Maybe they've got a problem or a complaint. And at the end of that interaction... They want to be happy. And as a company, you want them or a brand, you want them to go away happy, right? That's the way it was 150 years ago or maybe centuries ago. And that, by the way, is what will be happening a year, 10 years, and 100 years from now. That will not change. What does change is how we go about it, okay? But in the beginning and the end, it's all the same. That's what I mean by that. And in our world with e-commerce, so much of it is digital. And I love what certain companies are doing. I do business with this one particular company, and I buy a lot from them online. And I love that when I place the order. Just like Amazon does, I immediately get an email that tells me, hey, your order is placed. Customers love to know what's going on. It gives them a sense of control. That control yep. makes them feel empowered and confident. That's a great feeling that you want your customer to have about your company. By the way, they do something that Amazon doesn't do, which I love. Whenever I order from them, there's a video that shows, I typically order books from this company, but every once in a while, something else, they show it going into the box, being sealed and a label being put on. And then it holds up the guy who's doing it, packaging it says, thank you. <laughs> and it's like a 10 second video. And I thought, wow that's brilliant. They just gave me another interaction point or a touch point makes me feel so confident about what's going on. And then of course, within a matter of hours, I receive another email with tracking information about, you know, this book has been placed into the, you know, whatever delivery system and I can track it. And they even let me know when it shows up. Amazon even sends me a picture of my box leaning against my door, you know? So these are the types of interaction points that online or digital companies can provide that gives their customers confidence. And that's what we're looking to do. We want to find ways not to just do what's expected, which is I buy something, it shows up when I expect it will show up. That's a given. Those are table stakes. But what can I do in between? What little things can I do to make that customer say, I like doing business with them. Wow. That's really important as we talk about, you know, what's changed in business, what hasn't changed. I know I've kind of run off on a tangent, but that's what I do. So (laughs) <laughs> but I think it's important to recognize that everything in between whatever the customer reaches out for and whatever their final outcome is, that we have an opportunity to change the way we do business, but otherwise, nothing's changed.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Also, in another chapter, you mentioned that it's not possible to automate a relationship. And by the way, Stephen told me the same two episodes ago, but still, uh, you can create an emotional connection with the customer in an almost automated way. Right. And uh, I think this example with the books was one of them. But can you tell yeah. us even more examples? How is it possible in the different stages of the customer journey?
1: So it, it's especially, we, you know, as an e-commerce solution, we have to recognize we may not have the opportunity to interact and create a relationship with our customers. So we need to find other ways to make that customer say, they are the ones I want to go back to again and again. And the way to do it is to create confidence and i used that word earlier in in the the last question creating confidence means the customer will refer to you with the word always followed by something ideally positive. If they have confidence that it's going to be a bad experience, that's not what you want them to have. No, I'm confident when I do business with them, I will love what happens. That's what we're looking for. And here's what they'll say. You know what? When I log on, it's always easy. They always have what I want. They always, if I have a question, get back to me quickly. So that word always followed by something positive. If there's a problem, I know I can always reach out to them and they'll respond and and solve it for me. So always followed by something positive. And if it's auto Automated, that's okay, as long as the customer recognizes that whenever they reach out or interact, they're always going to have a positive experience. It's always going to be what's expected, not over the top, not blow me away with the most incredible examples of service I've ever had. Those are typically reserved for when there's a problem or some issue drops in the lap, and we just happen to be the perfect solution for them. Otherwise, day in and day out, we want to be recognized for a consistent level of positive experiences that we create. So, back to to the question: What we're trying trying to create is confidence and you can automate that but recognize what you're trying to do when you do that is you're automating the relationship at any given time if that customer needs to talk to somebody you better make it really easy for them to get there. So I love the omni channel, true omni channel experience where I might be interacting with a chat bot and I'm asking a question, and the chat bot is so good at what it does that it recognizes okay, I'm not answering the question that this customer is asking, I'm just going to seamlessly pass it over to a human being that might better understand. Give you an example of this. I was buying a uh, docking station for my computer, which is for those that might not know this, I have my computer. It's a laptop that I carry around or a notebook that I carry around in my briefcase. But when I sit down at my desk, I want to connect it to monitors, a big keyboard. So I just plug it into one little device, this docking station that's connected to all these peripherals, the microphone, Mm the screen, everything else. So that's what, that's what I wanted to buy. And I had a question. The bot opens up. Do you have any questions? Yes. Does this docking station charge the computer when I connect to it? Or do I have to have a separate cord to charge the computer? And then it asked me, well, what computer do you want to buy? And I said, I, I already have the computer. What I want to buy is the docking station. Does it charge the computer? And it came back and it asked, what computer do you want to buy? Now you would think after a second time of asking it and a third time, the chat bot would be smart enough to recognize it's not answering my question. And there are many chatbots that recognize that and would immediately put me over to a human being that would immediately spot, this guy doesn't want to buy a computer. He wants to buy the docking station. Makes sense. So that's where we have to create that automated experience, the digital. So automation and digital are two different things. You can be digital and still have interaction that's human to human, or you could be digital and have an interaction that's you know, AI infused or just technology based. Either one is great. The best companies find the balance and they make it happen.
0: I think just as a side note, so the experience with the automation is crucial and where many company fails that they automate too early or it's not very efficient and it ruins the whole experience, just right. as you said. And uh, first, the experience should be on point. And companies should understand what the or potential customers they want, and then they can automate it.
1: In our recent survey, and every year we do a survey, it's now available. If anybody's interested, just go to my website. It's free, so I'm not trying to sell anything here. It's hyken.com, h y k e n.com, and it's there's a little tab at the top. It says research, and you can get. I have a whole almost 30 page research report, stats and facts. Number one thing I want to share with you right now is the preferred methods of communication. It's still the telephone. It's mostly baby boomers, the older generation that goes to the telephone first versus the millennials and the Gen Zs. But the other thing that's important is number of people that would go to the phone first versus say, I want a digital experience first. And I was surprised because the number of people interested in using the phone first actually went up this year versus last year. When you have a problem or issue with a company or brand, which solution do you prefer to help solve your problem. A digital self-service solution or calling the company direct. And this year, 65% said they would rather call than use the digital solution. But that means 35% want digital first. Yeah. So again, there needs to be a balance. I don't care what business we're in. If, a, if, if we need to talk to a company, there needs to be somebody there to talk to us.
0: Okay, that's a very interesting uh, report, and we will add this to the description of the podcast so everybody okay, yeah. download it. I also downloaded it and I read it today. Actually, I think I will include it into our learning materials for the whole team. So awesome! That's great, and
1: I want you to use it. I want you to use it. So uh, I think that that's a real important stat too. It's very telling. Seventy-one percent said yes, I do use self-service tools, mm-hmm. but when you ask them what they prefer, okay, only thirty-five percent said they would go there first. That's yeah. important. Especially in an e-commerce company that's trying to be e-commerce and not, you know, typically think of themselves as a company that would interact with a customer.
0: Do you think uh, somebody should uh, implement this approach, what people prefer based on your survey, even if they don't have complaints about
1: it? Wouldn't that be brilliant if nobody ever complained because they really, truly were happy? Yeah, (laughs) never had a complaint. So uh, I will tell you this. It's not that you will have one. It's not like, you know, if you'll ever have one, it's when you will have one. Somebody is always. And by the way, it doesn't have to be a complaint. It could just be a question. Let's go back to uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon who said, why do we need a customer service department? Now, he was being a little facetious, I believe. He was trying to say, we should be so good that they don't need to call us with problems. And somebody said, well, that's fine. We could be that good. But what happens Mm -hmm. when we turn the package over to FedEx, UPS, DHL, you know, US Post, whatever is going to carry the package and then it gets lost in the shipment. And then who does a customer think to call? They call Amazon. That's why we need the support department. We could be flawless at what we do, but some outside circumstance could cause a problem that would make the customer want to come back and, and reach out to us. So don't think that you know we're immune to, even if we are really, really good. By the way, depending, I know we have a lot of SMBs here, small and medium-sized businesses. I love it when I talk to small companies and they're just picking my brain saying, what can we do to give a better customer experience? And you know, we don't really have somebody dedicated to that. It, basically, if the phone rings, anybody near it picks it up. And I said, well, that's great. What you might want to do is if you've got Five people dedicate somebody to managing that experience and having everybody gets their time to answer customer calls, no matter what their job is. And as you get bigger and bigger and bigger and you can finally have somebody dedicated, I still feel it's important for anybody, especially the executive team to sit in, maybe take some calls, listen to calls. If it's a chat, interact and do it themselves. Why? Because they need to understand a really good focus on what's happening on that front line, what's happening on the interactions. Years ago, my first book was titled Moments of Magic, how to be a star with your customers. I can't remember what the rest of it is. <laughs> be a star with your customers, make them say it. amazing. I don't know. There was a, um, a section in there on Anheuser-Busch, the beer company. What they had all of their executives do once a quarter is leave the office and go and drive around with the salesperson. Sometimes it was on a truck, Sometimes it was a true salesperson who does nothing but go in and make calls on accounts. But the idea was that these people would know what's going on in the front line. I thought, wow, that's brilliant. So everybody needs to spend time interacting at some level with customers, whether they're listening in on calls, shadowing somebody, or actually doing it themselves. And I don't care how big the company gets. I loved, and uh, in, in this book, I'll Be Back, I talk about a phone call to Microsoft. And somebody answered the phone. You know, they're very pleasant, help the customer out. And the customer, when they call back, said, that person who took care of me was so good and so nice. I really hope I get that person again. I don't have his last name. His name was William. And it was Bill Gates is who it was she was talking to. He was actually going into the support center and talking to customers. Here's the guy that started Microsoft. And I think, wow, if he does that, why can't the rest of
0: us do that? I agree. Yeah, yeah. Like whatever heights you achieve in business and with your company, you should still do it. And uh, you shouldn't get disconnected from your customers because then uh, that's how you will fail. Do you ever have the show, I don't know if you have it over there, called Undercover Boss? Is that a
1: familiar mm, show? I heard about it. Basically, it's it's a CEO or high-level executive or owner of a company that goes mm. undercover and gets hired, you know, supposedly, and then is mentored by somebody. At a, you know, like if, if uh, the CEO of a restaurant chain is like, okay, I'm going to go see what it's really like. They put on a wig, they wear glasses, they yeah. disguise themselves, and they go in there and they work in the kitchen or they work as a server and they see what's going on and they see the the great things and they see horrific things as well. And then they say, okay, at the end, let's figure out how to make that work. I think more CEOs and anybody needs to experience what other employees experience. And maybe they should mystery shop their own companies. In other words, don't rely upon a company to mystery shop for you. If I'm an executive, I should every once in a while, I should walk into my store, or if I'm e-commerce, I should try to see how easy it is to place an order. I should act like there's a problem in call and see how hard is it to get my problem resolved because I need to understand that for me to be able to create a better experience for my customers because if there's a problem, we need to deal with it right away because guess what happens? If there's any friction or any issue, competitor is going to see the weakness and they're going to get right into it. In the book, I'll be back at the very last chapter, which is my favorite chapter because it's what I call where the rubber hits the road. It's how do we really take all these different ideas that are in the book, isolating each of these ideas by themselves are great. You can implement them, but they're there's a conversation that has several steps. Number one is to say, why would somebody do business with us instead of the competitor? Number two, why does somebody choose to do business with a competitor instead of us? And by the way, I'm not looking for if, you know, why should they do business with us? Oh, because we're really nice and we've got great service. Well, that's what your competitor says. But what is truly a differentiation point between you and your competition? And what's so different that they're doing that customers go into them instead? And by the way, that gets to question three is, what can we do that we're not doing that our competitor is doing and we need to make it our own let's just not copy it because otherwise we become a commodity step four is to look outside your industry talk about all the companies you love doing business with and why you love doing business with them and say is there and then step five is after we do that are any of those reasons we love doing business with them something that we could be doing in our business wow that's really cool i'll give you an example i've used amazon before and this by the way is the hardest one for people to grasp when you're looking at companies outside Outside of your industry and you're saying, what are they doing that gets the, the customers to love them? And could we do it? And here's what people say. Well, that's Amazon. They're not us. You know, we're small or whatever. And I go, no, I want you to understand. So I'm in a workshop and one of our trainers, and I'm just auditing and, and listening in and seeing how they're doing. And one of the trainers poses that question, who outside of your industry do you love doing business with and why And they talk about it. And then the next question. So of those things you love, could we do any of them? And the executive raises his hand and says, I'm sorry, but we're not Amazon. I said, you missed the point because the person who said they love Amazon, they said, I love that we get these email confirmations. I love that they give me the information. I love that they send me a video or a picture of my package and the executive says we can't send out these emails we don't want to upset our customers with too many emails and i said you missed the point the reason this guy loves amazon is not because he receives emails it's because he receives information that makes him feel confident we talked about this earlier and it's like you could see the wheels turning and the executive going okay i get it we need to be sending confirmation of what's going on along the way. Exactly. So anyway, I digress. That's step five. Step six, which is the final steps, is to take a look at all of the different reasons a competitor does business, a customer does business with the competitor or the reasons we love doing business with somebody even outside of industry and implement those. And once we've done that, we ask the same question. Now that we've done some of these changes, has it made a difference? Why would a customer want to do business with us instead of them? So that's the six-step process. And I know I was a little long on that answer, but I think it's it's a good thing for us to be thinking about. It allows us to take action on some of the ideas that we're talking about here, what you talked about with Stephen, or what you'll just talk about your team in general, the different ideas that you have.
0: Yeah, thank you, Shep, for uh, sharing this uh, six-step method. And I really like these, uh, you know, if it's broken down to steps, because I think it sticks in people's mind easily. And uh, again, his new book is uh, I Will Be Back. And uh, if anyone wants to find you and your company where, they can find you where they show. Sure. So yeah, hold it up. I love the title.
1: Does It, it kind of looks like a little bit of a Terminator font. I'll be back. How to get customers to come back again and again. That's what we want. So you can go to hiking.com Like I said, everything's there. If you want the book, go to Amazon. That's the easiest place to get it. If you want to buy a book for everybody in your company or all of your customers, let us know. We'll get you a great deal. How's that?
0: <laughs> amazing we will share the links in the description as yep. well on all channels so everyone can find yep. the links easily and uh, thanks again chef for uh, coming uh, here today and sharing all of these i think it was a really insightful talk today and thanks everyone who listened to us today stay tuned every week we come out with two episodes we just doubled the number of weekly episodes recently and uh, have a great day everyone